This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. It is so good to be with you again this morning, and hopefully your day has started out well. We do not have the four regulars, but Ryan has been gone so much and Josh has been filling in. It's almost as if Josh is the regular. And, I'm taking over. And Ryan will He's be back there. in his regular seat. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan will be the replacement when he comes back in. And we also have Vinny out and Danny in, Danny Steinmeier from the family, our Truth Family Bible we Church just in Middleton. I know, I wrote it down. How can you mess it up right I away? I wrote it down and I could not read it correctly. <laughs> Danny, if you want to take a minute to introduce yourself, I'm not sure if... Has Danny been in the studio? Uh-uh. No. no oh, okay. So welcome. Oh, no, thank you very much. And uh, sorry. <laughs> no, that, that's all right. Uh, no, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to be with you guys and uh, just been getting to know you guys more. We are a newer church plant. We've been up and running for about four and a half years, about two and a half years now uh, with morning and evening services. And uh, we've just been grateful to see the Lord work among us and then uh, be with like-minded brothers. So I uh, appreciate the opportunity to be here with you guys. Do you want? Do you have a website that you want to share with our listeners? Yeah, truthfamilybiblechurch.org is our uh, church website. We also have uh, a podcast uh, done by our elders, and it's uh, it's called It's Time for Truth, and you can find that all on your uh, podcast platforms. Uh, really a, a great and unique uh, opportunity for us to get content out to our people as well as it's worldwide, so uh, anybody else can, uh, can jump on there. So we are going to start a, a short little series on prayer. And my opening question, I am clearly leading the witness. And the <laughs> question is, why is prayer so hard? Well, first of all, it's not just hard for some people. It's hard for everybody because uh, Satan opposes our prayers and uh, our flesh is opposed to prayers. And so it's difficult in that way. It requires effort. It's, prayer is a discipline, so it's something that we need to practice. It's a, a privilege and a duty, and the duty part of it makes it hard. Yeah. The Puritans used to speak of prayer being like breathing, um, which gives the impression that it, it's something that's so easy and so natural for the child of God. So does that mean if if I think prayer is hard, that there's something wrong with me, that I'm yes. not a Christian? <laughs> I think no, no, the... I wasn't asking <laughs> something wrong with me. We know the answer to yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I think they're right. But I think maybe it's maybe misunderstood a little bit. Like prayer is breathing to the to the soul, like your your soul comes alive, like your body does mm-hmm. through breathing. But it's more like you know you're an athlete or you were uh, running in a race. Uh, breathing is hard when you're running in a race. I I used to wrestle. Man, you get into the third round. Breathing is hard in the third round. So uh, it's not that it's easy. It's that it's what gives you life. I, so I think I think they're right, but I think understood in that way. I always asterisk the the Puritans and say that they forgot to to comment that, and we all have asthma. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that would be more accurate. Yeah. It is the, the lifeblood of the child of God. However, it can be a struggle. Yeah. And some of that struggle is from our own rugged independence and our own, uh, as Francis Schaeffer would call it, our personal peace and affluence. That when we are comfortable, then the the, the difficulty of breathing, the, the, the necessity of, of being conscious of your breathing is, uh, it, it isn't, isn't quite there as much in, in, in an easy fashion for us. So I think that's part of it, too, well, why it's hard. It's, it's like going to the physician, and he tells you to take deep breaths, and you do, and then he says, breathe normally. And you're overthinking it, yeah. and you, you're not breathing the way you would normally. Yeah. You know, I think it's, uh, prayer is hard because uh, in prayer we have to humble ourselves, and that's really difficult. You know, get over ourselves, <coughs> come to the end of our own. You know, we think that we can do certain things on our own, and uh, just just to pray to die to self, you know, that's why our flesh itself is fighting against prayer. You know, because we're entering into a warfare. We're entering warfare against our flesh and uh, against the accuser of the brethren. Yeah. And so it becomes very difficult. There's a really great book, Thomas Brooks, speaking of Puritans, called The Secret Key to Heaven. And the subtitle is The Vital Importance of Private Prayer. And I found it really encouraging for my own prayer life. But he has a whole section, part four, where he answers objections to prayer. And these kind of answer the question of why prayer is so hard. So the first one is that, well, I, I've so, I'm so busy. Um, that's why prayer is hard because my schedule is so full. And I think that's true for me. Like my presenting problem for why prayer is hard is because I'm, I'm so busy. Mm-hmm. But the deeper root from my heart is is just unbelief. Mm-hmm. Like if I if I really believe the things um, consistently that God said about prayer in the Scripture, then there there would be no obstacle to prayer mm-hmm. whatsoever. Busyness is just a handy excuse. And, and then what Brooks does is he shows, okay, think about all the great men in the Bible: Abraham, David, Solomon, Moses. All of these men were leading empires, mm-hmm. and and they weren't too busy to pray <laughs> or, or jesus you know the, the ruler of the universe would retreat to a mountainside uh, oftentimes to pray all night just demonstrating that that when you believe what what prayer actually means and and and, and that communion with the lord you will make you will make time and i i'm i'm not saying I'm, i've arrived i'm saying that's what i struggle with but it should be i'm so busy i need to pray right that that actually is the more appropriate response and attitude as opposed to the excuse making of I'm too busy to pray. I think Hebrews 11 talks about this idea, this framework that that which is unseen is more real than what is seen. But that's easier to say than it is to live. And so every time we enter into prayer, we're entering into an, a, a dialogue with somebody that's unseen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that makes it more difficult. And God is not responding audibly so it's a conversation but it's a conversation that happens through his word and spirit and we're talking but he's not talking per se in the same way so i think that makes it difficult because we don't interact in any other category like that in the rest of life and so there is this element of faith that does make it a little bit more of a struggle to carry on a conversation in prayer than other conversations. Well, and it's so important that we get that right, too. Josh and I are both preaching through the, the 
as I call it, the gospel of Exodus. Yeah. And I'm in Exodus 20. I just did the second commandment. I'm doing the second commandment. It's multiple weeks on the second commandment. But see, our, our tendency is, well, we want something tangible. We mm-hmm. want something that we can see and touch and, mm-hmm. and hold. And it's, we find it, it's easier to speak to that. It's easier to make sacrifice to that uh, as opposed to uh, worshiping and, and praying in spirit and in truth. That's what uh, what pleases God, right? And, and that's that. Well, you're right. That's what makes it harder, but it also is what's true. Something else that can add a layer of difficulty, and it it actually can be more of a struggle for those that are on the reformed end of the theological spectrum. And that's is if we know that God knows all things, and that He knows what we need before we ask Him, and that He's sovereignly governing over all things, and in His providence. He's going to meet those needs. Why do we need to pray? I think that's one of the reasons why people don't pray. They think, well, the Lord knows this already, so it seems superfluous for me to mention anything. But that the problem with that is we think of prayer as just one-dimensional. We, you know, where it's just our supplication and inter- intercession. But there's a multidimensional part to that because you know we're engaged with God. We're speaking with Him. He's asked us to do that. It's a relational thing. Actually, the the big part of prayer is not my subjective feelings, but my objective understanding of who God is and and why I'm coming <coughs> to Him. It's, it's a bit like well, you're already in covenant relationship with your wife, so I mean, why do you need to spend time with her? I mean, I mean, anybody who would, who would hear that would instantly see that that's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, that God knows everything that we're going to pray. I actually think that that's a comfort, <laughs> that that is a joy. That's not a detriment to my relationship with him. That is, oh God, it's it's Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me. You have known me. Uh, you know when I lie down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. God knows every thought that we're going to think all the way stretched into eons of ages into eternity. But that doesn't that doesn't prevent the psalmist from rejoicing in God. That actually is fuel. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Um, I cannot attain it. So I actually think that that's not a detriment to prayer. That's a, that's a great encouragement that God knows us inside and out. Well, from that understanding of providence and understanding – uh, how God works, that he not only ordains the ends, but also the means. And, and so being knowing that he has invited us into prayer, that there, that we have a participation in the purposes and, and plans of God throughout history, um, it's a remarkable privilege to be a part of, to be welcomed and invited into that process. Yet uh, he has, of course, uh, ordained the ends and, and orchestrates all to his glory. Yeah, yeah and by inviting us into that process, um, when we see uh, God at work, we are able to glorify Him even more fully, mm-hmm. uh, give Him glory and praise for the things He's done, because we see that He's asked us to pray about that particular thing, and then we see His response to that, and then we give Him glory. That's that's really what prayer, what all of life is about, is to bring glory to God. And I think if you think through how we were created, we were created to have fellowship and communion with him, and that wasn't supposed to be remote. So prayer is actually just a stopgap between the moment where we were created very good in the image of God in his garden, in actual fellowship with him, to the, the great consummation of all of history where we'll once again be in his presence. 
prayer is just that stopgap for in between those two time periods because this is not exactly how it ought to be. Mm-hmm. And so prayer is our ability to commune with our, our triune God that's the best that we have here. But it's not really, in my opinion, the full extent of what it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just part of the, uh, the result of the fall. And this whole matter of uh, why pray if God already knows, that goes right back to this idea that prayer is only supplication. Yeah. And, yes. and you know, in prayer, we actually um, adore God. That, you know, that's part of it. You it's know, worship. We, it's worship. We tell him who he is. And to us, you know, we're communicating how, how dear he is to our, our own soul. And that brings us so we've we've mentioned Piper's book here multiple times, Desiring God. Piper's whole thesis is man's chief end is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Right. When we adore God, like what you're saying, mm-hmm. Jonathan, that's where all joy is at. That's when we feast off the abundance of his house and drink from the rivers of his delight. When we glorify God, that's where our souls find their rest. Yeah, we fit, you know, we, all of a sudden that enhances my ability to pray. When I'm, you know, I understand that he is a great and wonderful and awesome in all of his doings. That enhances my ability to come before him. He's the God who doesn't sleep or slumber. So uh, I know that he hears me whenever I speak to him. Amen. I actually think that the first part of our prayer of worship and adoration and thanks to God actually sets up our supplications, that our supplications flow out of our acknowledgement of who God is and what he has done in the past and our thanks for him and his steadfast love then creates the foundation from which we then bring our supplications. Mm -hmm. We'll develop this more fully in the days to come and we'll see you later.